Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the trade addicts podcast thank you and enjoy your podcast do you have the time to listen to me grind take down the film watchers and nerds all at once i am one of those skeptical of status quo lazy and to the bone no doubt about it Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets Sometimes pour cold water on heat When the math's not adding up You bet I'm checking out I'm Welcome to the ground Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads My name's Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts And I said that with a straight I am a senior writer for DLF, um, and I do this this here podcast and projections, and I collect a database of rookie stats, just in case, just in case it's your first time here. I'm also starting to put out YouTube content, and I know that sounded awfully like a call to action. Just please ignore it. But it does feel like starting from from the beginning streets again. I'm back on the streets, man, over there grinding, screaming into the void. It'd be nice to have some company if you could check them out. If not, it's fine. But uh, yeah, I'm starting to make some videos um, over there. I don't know. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's actually storming. It's pretty much been storming constantly uh, where I live in my little part of Kentucky. And we had uh, ice and then we had snow and now it's devolved into rain because Kentucky really can't make up its mind about the weather. Uh, I don't know how well the phrase or saying travels, but the word around here is if you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. It'll change. Um, but it's been pretty much a deluge of rain. And here's the thing. I kind of like the rain, man. I, I don't know if that's popular or not popular, or contrary or not popular. I've always kind of liked the rain. Now, since buying a house, I have some mixed feelings on it because now I have to constantly worry that the roof isn't going to hold up. But I still love the sound of the rain. And so it's just me, you, very late at night because I'm I'm living the grind life, as you know. And the rain, and it feels kind of awesome. I feel almost like I'm channeling J. Mike Check right now. Like, this is a nice, cozy feeling for me and you. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I hope you are too. What are we going to do today? That's a good question. Well, speaking of YouTube, I've been thinking about focusing a playlist or a channel or my... Ch- I don't know how YouTube works. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm making videos on there and I watch a lot of videos on there, but I don't really know how it works. But I want to do some videos on misses. Um, I, wa- I want to look back on players that I got wrong or players analytics uh, got wrong or players that Draft Capital got wrong or maybe we got right and something else got it wrong and why, you know? And I'm, I've mentioned before how I spent a lot of time looking back over prospects I personally feel like I missed on. Now, a lot of them um, might be unusual misses to you. Like, they hit, Pete. Why are you saying you missed? Well, because that wasn't, they didn't hit for the reasons I thought they would. Or um, players that 
most were down on, and I maybe got a little high. And I'd still call those a miss, like, why was I so different than everyone else? I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can use the word, I guess. But um, first up, the, the first one that came to mind, because he's the most recent one, and this isn't a process of I was changing my mind and going back and looking at their stats and saying, oh, this is what I missed. No, I, I think I do a pretty good job of evaluating whether a player is productive or unproductive at this point. I do want to talk to Travis May a lot, and also Matt Spencer, also a whole bunch of other people, obviously, but they both have differences of opinions, and they get some players right that I don't in ways that I can't see how they're doing it. Now, I I meme, especially on YouTube videos and on Twitter, about how, you know, stuff doesn't work because I can't find it. But also, since we're here at the crossroads in a nice, stormy-type weather, just... Just a reminder, like, low-key, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I'm right or wrong or numbers get it right or film get it right. I just want to make better draft picks. That's the whole goal. So I'm not on team anything. I'm on team me. I'm on team my draft pick hitting at a higher rate, and that's it. So just because I can't find something, I don't mind if someone else teaches me it. And I, obviously most of us don't feel that way, but I feel like most of the way you get... you. I, well, me. Let's just talk me. I get put in a, a mindset of having to find the next thing and be the one who knows because I want to prove my worth to you all, right? And I, I always feel like I fail at it, but um, it really puts an urge on you, like, find the next Adam Thielen. Why is a rare bloody event? And that's why I always keep my eye out for for the potential of it so that I can be ready, right? But I understand the odds of it happening, so you never get too optimistic until Adam Thielen started doing some of the things he did, and then they drafted a wide receiver in the first round, but it was Laquan Treadwell, and it's like, okay, let's go, this is happening. But, anyway, and um, back to misses. So, I don't want to fall into that mindset of, I've got to find the next. There has to be a good wide receiver here, and I need him. This value has to be great. I think that's part of the mentality that forced me to be so happy, and I think I mold it enough on J.J. Sager-Whiteside, there were problems there. I mentioned his touchdown, a heavy touchdown usage in college, and I didn't like it, but it's not predictive. It's just something I normally avoid. But I want to find the next falling wide receiver, first-round rookie wide receiver that we can all snag at the end. And, you know, maybe he just wasn't there, frankly. So I think going back over misses publicly, like, here's what the stats look like. Here's the way I would and did describe his stats, here's any potential value I might miss, or might have indicated that this guy was a little different. Um, and most of the time, if I'm doing a good job, there shouldn't be a lot of that, but I definitely don't know everything. I mean, Travis May, Matt Spencer, uh, bunches of people get things right that I don't, and they're looking at numbers, or they're looking at film. Jake used to be on this podcast and did it to me constantly, so there's more to learn. So while I enjoy making entertaining content and pushing a strong opinion, I also want to improve that opinion, and that's a lot more of the grind work, man. That's low-key, quiet conversations between me and you with the rain pattern. That's sorry, I'm really I'm really enjoying this rain right now. I don't know how to explain. It rain's so atmospheric, guys. Like it's just sets a a mood of potential. Something cool's about to happen. Now nothing cool's about to happen on this podcast. Fake nerds podcast, no call allowed, but still, it sets a mood, you know? So, the prospect that came to mind, I think I might have mentioned, that I want to, oh, I just was recently going back through, and it's what put this idea of doing videos on misses and taking a second look 
not reevaluating, recalculating, making it a W when it was an L, but specifically accepting it as an L and seeing if at all there's something that I missed or what I should know about them to put in that background knowledge of prospects of the future. The one that comes to mind from last year is Chase Claypool. Like, I'm pretty certain Brandon Ayuk, I was fairly fence-sitting. I was like, one great year, one bad year. We really can't judge on that. I take other players before him, but he's got first-round draft capital. So that's not me trying to claim an L or a W. I literally don't care about that stuff. I just want my draft picks to be get better. And if Ayuk had fallen to me in my drafts, whereabout his draft value was, I would have taken him very happily. I went out my way to get Higgins, for example, through a similar philosophy. But anyway... Chase Claypool was someone I very much... I didn't like his production profile. I couldn't find a way he stood out. And I did note him as the sole member of Team Calvin Johnson on my my Calvin Johnson index, which is basically just my combine metric uh, to meme on the fact that combine metrics don't matter. And so that's the way I introduced uh, Chase Claypool. And I actually even ranked him as a tight end in my rookie draft board because... It sounded fun. And honestly, why not? The Calvin Johnson scale guy as a tight end, that sounded exciting. But no, I, I really did not like his profile. Just full on, couldn't find a thing. Not, I couldn't find, I thought he was a bust. I thought actually the category I put him in is a late breakout player. Now, these terms get thrown around with so many different definitions that, uh, you know, they're almost meaningless. So let me explain to you why I didn't like him. Players that don't do much, but then have very strong final seasons before they go to college, especially if they're looking at a four-year career, tend to be bursts no matter what their draft capital is. This is the Kevin White. It's the um, Kelvin Benjamin, frankly, um, corollary if or rule or whatever we want to say it in normal non-nerd language. And now Kelvin Benjamin could well be a miss when you think about it that way. But I actually hit him in his first year, so it's hard for me to remember him as a miss because I saw the potential of the touchdowns and the way the season was running. So I actually ended up with some of him, but I never quite liked the profile because of this late breakout nature of it and kind of sold him as quickly as possible and it kind of worked out. But could he have kept going? Yes, I think... The way his career played out is an indicative of what he was coming into the NFL. There was clearly a path to him being successful because he did it that once. So it's kind of a miss to the late breakout trope that I'm all, that that I'm always talking about that I've mentioned when similar players come up. So let me talk about Chase Claypool for a little while. Run through the basics of why I didn't like him, what I see, kind of do a like a test with you guys on whether that's an interesting subject. And you can let me know if it's something I could, if I should make more video content on um, about looking at past prospects. But then just so I don't leave you with just a downer, um, I want to look at some running backs heading into 2021 and specifically talk about values um, and how value is kind of fictional sometimes. So that's an 11 minute introduction. So I guess I should probably get to some content there. So here's an overview, not everything, because we should really dig through player profiles. And I try to, at least, honestly, as fully as we can, including listening to people taking on other information that you don't necessarily have as part of your process, which is my way of saying I go and then listen to tape grinders. Um, But here's a a picture in one image or one description how how would i say i would i saw chase claypool well for one thing i saw his clay his seasons from start to finish as being that late breakout profile and that he wasn't much part of the offense until that final year when he finally hit a 33 
33.4% Dominator. I've got a spreadsheet. I should use it more often. So yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was a 33.4% Dominator rating in 2019 for Notre Dame in the Independent Conference, which in and of itself offers some interesting context because the Independent Conference actually really isn't a conference, but we're not going to go there right now. Now, 33% isn't a bad Dominator, but it's not a great Dominator for a 21-year-old because I typically look at profiles first through age adjustments. How are they performing compared to past good players at the ages that they were playing? And 33% is at slightly below the line for Dominator rating. Now, there's market share of receiving yards, which is one I usually throw up in the graph, and Zeno's got a whole app, so you can go look at any player compared to the same average. It was 31% of the yards, and that's actually significantly below the line for a 21 one-year-old playing at any conference who then went on to be good in the NFL and so that's what I saw I saw a late breakout who didn't even get to crest the curve at the very tippy top of his career at a slightly under underrated conference at a slightly know-nothing team didn't seem much interesting there outside of the fact that he was getting some buzz from the Tate community, which I mostly read as Combine buzz. Again, going back to the he was the most Calvin Johnson-y like from the Combine, I kind of read it that way. Now, that isn't me reimagining it to say, oh, so I should make sure to separate out the Combine. No, I, I would still make the same and am for some prospects in 2021, you should know making the same calculation that most hype around players of this nature is going to be related to their physical physicals, especially if they have particularly impressive physicals. I think we can kind of read that as one thing. However, I would say that I do have to strongly listen to that gut instinct. I mean, my post-draft model, because of his second-round draft capital, meant he didn't compare well or too well to any of those other prospects. And the combine model, or the post-draft model, I actually put him in, like in the top 10 at wide receiver. In fact, the only players I would... From the post-draft model, if I, you know, listen to my models, and I normally advise no, no, no one do that because I made them and I know that guy and he's not that smart. But, um, yeah, where did, where did it place him? Let's actually go look. Yeah, it placed him 12 overall. The only players that really look like severe misses above him are Antonio Golden-Gandhi, your, I guess, off-season reminder that I'm still really interested in that guy, also coming from the Independence Conference. KJ Hamler, still really interested in him. Neither have done anything so far, but they're also much lower drafted. Denzel Mims, who looked far and above the better prospect, which, you know, we know how that's working out so far, but I still have some hope because his stats were better compared to past players than you might think, but that's another podcast. Um, above that, you've got Henry Ruggs, but I was avoiding him for similar production concerns, and Jalen Rager. So really, it's Jalen Rager and Denzel Mims who I wasn't able to go, hey, look, yeah, those two I'm targeting above Claypool. Outside of that, the pro-staff model is like, yeah, this is a guy you should probably want. Right below Claypool, by the way, Gabriel Davis. Completely missed him uh, as a fourth-round draft pack this year, and now everyone's favorite buy that I wouldn't actually recommend overly but he, he came in just under Claypool. So that, that feels like the post-draft model's doing its work, to be honest with you. Anyway, Another way of looking at his profile, and said it more simply, is the wide receiver one for Notre Dame of the last four years before Chase Claypool actually went to the NFL. In 2016, it was Equiminius St. Brown. He had a 32% dominator with 31% market share of receiving yards. 2017, and Claypool is on the team for all these years, by the way, doing essentially nothing in terms of market share, at least, or, in or even in terms of yards per team pass attempt and yards per team attempt. It's, it's just he's not a big thing. He's not really 
It's not really a thing. Um, but yeah, in 2017, it was Equiminius St. Brown again. You know what you think of him. We know what we have thought of him. He was an interesting prospect on the back of the Packers depth chart that I always kind of underrated because we were comparing him to Randall Cobb. And I thought that was an unfair comparison because Randall Cobb is very, very good. And his profile, for example, from college was even better than Equiminius St. Brown. But there was some hope there. Specifically, most people having hope were... Packers Aaron Rodgers but yeah his production wasn't terrible and he was the wide receiver one for this team in 2016 and 2017 2018 it becomes Miles Boykin someone who I thought had an absolute trash profile and uh yeah that 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 seems to be true but he had a 30 percent dominator less than Equiminius St. Brown when he was a wide receiver one from the two years before that and a 26 percent share of the market share of receiving yards so he was a less of the offense had a lower dominator and basically kept up most mostly just through touchdowns compared to Equiminius St. Brown the year before I, I never had any interest in Boykin. He's another one who got coalesced with the team combine Twitter, frankly. Then in 2019, Claypool, after everyone else is gone, is finally the wide receiver one for Notre Dame. He had 31% of the sh- receiving yards and a 33% dominator. Now, to be fair, that is the highest dominator of any one of those three players. So he has the best dominator of everyone that's played as a wide receiver one position for Notre Dame in the last four years. Neat. But we're talking the difference of 1% between Equiminius St. Brown at 19, which is why he was slightly interesting, and Claypool at 21. I, that's actually a pretty good description of why I didn't like him. He was less impressive on the same team in the same era. I know teams change a lot year over year, but if we're just looking at it through this lens... He was less impressive a lower share of the offense or similar share of the offense as Equimini St. Brown when he was two years older and I have that age thing running for me. So, yeah, I didn't like him. Now, some positive notes, looking back, not something I would have seen and don't really use now, looking through the same four players, Claypool had a 2.4... Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the running back stack. He had a 2.49 yards per team pass attempt. Now, that's equal to Equiminius St. Brown at age 19 in 2016. And it's better than Equiminius St. Brown or Miles Boykin in the two years before. So, like his dominator rating, it is slightly higher. But it's slightly higher than one mediocre player we had some hope for and one player I summarily didn't like and seem to have, that seems to have been borne out to be true. Take that combine Twitter. And that's it. That's what he did in this situation. It's not everything, but that's kind of the feeling I got throughout his whole profile. He was not doing much, certainly not doing much compared to what past prospects have done at different ages, or even their heights, or the best, or the last years. He was below all of that, and when you looked, broke down into it further, what he looked like was uh, Equiminius St. Brown, Miles Boykin, slightly better physicals, But he had to be 21 years old, even to come close to, or slightly crest, the heights of Equiminius St. Brown. And that didn't feel like a strong bet going into the NFL. I didn't like his profile. Outright. So what did I miss? I see nothing I missed. And that's not to say Claypool isn't a different prospect now, because NFL stats matter more. He just had a great season in his rookie season, playing for a good team and a quarterback who may or may not stick around. To the point that, you know... He was playing on the same field with Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson, two profiles I liked a lot better, and Juju Smith-Schuster, who I absolutely adored as a prospect, and was not only competing, but in fact pushing them out of the way, you could describe, uh, in terms of at least elbowing out a lot of the other rooms so that he could have an equal and greater share of that offense in his rookie season. That's a very different player than what I saw 
him doing in college, and sometimes that just happens. Some players aren't good in college or don't show that they're good in college, and they go to the NFL and it's different. It is incredibly rare. I would say it's the rarest kind of outlier that we have. It's rarer than draft capital outliers. It's rarer than combine outliers, of which there are just so many. Um, But it still is true. Michael Thomas and Terry McClure and Chase Claypool were just underproductive in school. Two of them literally played for the same team in the same era, so I'm just going to go ahead and blame Ohio on that one. And Claypool, his stats were good-ish in his final year, age 21. That's just not normally what we see from most players who do good going forward. Is he fool's gold, therefore? No, I think that season was well enough that if you like Claypool, you should just keep right on liking him, to be honest with you. It's way too late for me to buy in because his value shot up, as it should, and I'm not normally trying to pay for wide receivers. Young, productive wide receivers, proven wide receivers to a certain point as rookies, though, are a pretty decent bet if you're looking for one and you like Claypool. Me, I'm probably just shooting for the moon and going for T. Higgins and Justin Jefferson, but I'm no longer hating. Was that interesting at all? <laughs> That's basically it. That's all I can say in Claypool. I can't see much extra that I missed. Even rereading it, knowing the way it worked out, he just looks like someone, the way I go through numbers, never would have highlighted. Who does that compare him to in 2021? That's actually probably a better conclusion. Terrence Marshall, Devontae Smith the two best examples of this type of late breakout prospect. Now, Devontae Smith is significant. He actually, I think I actually read a posit- more positive profile. I don't like him as much as the NFL mocks I'm seeing, but I think he's decent. I think he has a shot. And the more people hate on his BM- potential BMI because of recent measurements, the more I'm interested in, in old Devontae Smith. But he's not a guy I'm aiming for. But I do think he's decently productive in, at a good school and a good conference. And I, I don't not like him like I did... Like, I didn't like Claypool. Terrence Marshall, on the other hand, I mean, I just ranted about that profile for exactly the reasons I just said Chase Claypool looked bad, but actually to a slightly higher exaggeration. But you could even say the same thing, that he got around about a 33% dominator in that last year. It is limited to seven games because of COVID. But again, that last year is almost the least important note. It's like my last-ditch effort to find a player I like. If you crest 40% or are significantly more productive than past players in that conference or on that team have been, and we have some evidence for them being anywhere near decent in the NFL, I'll say, okay, that looks different, and that's kind of the truth with Devontae Smith. That wasn't with Claypool, and it's not with Marshall. Now, does Marshall being back-to-back with Claypool make it less likely to happen? No, that's not how probability works. It could happen back-to-back in drafts. It could have five years separation. But my reading of Terrence Marshall's profile is the same, very similar to my reading of Chase Claypool's profile. And that doesn't mean Terrence Marshall is a new Claypool, but let that underlying background information be back there. And one last note on this is Claypool and Marshall are both players being hyped up in ways that the, the production profile does not seem to suggest. Now, I think, again, like I was saying about the Combine stuff, a lot of that is noise from people liking Combine metrics, which this year is a little more difficult because it's mostly just kind of exaggerated pro days. 
and, and film Twitter. Now, the film Twitter is a part that interests me because they have often highlighted players like Claypool, who looks bizarrely interesting to the community or to consensus considering his production profile. And so they can help me at least draw a line under where I'll let their value fall. I'm doing the similar thing with Jalen Waddle this year. It's really not there, but there is too much noise, not co- just coming from Combine Twitter, not just coming from school or conference or draft capital Twitter, but enough there that I can find signs that this is one of the players that looks better on tape, if you were to say it in a sentence, than his profile really suggests. That doesn't mean I take him over players based on my process, but it does mean I will not let them fall to a certain extent. In the same way that I saw, well, that's actually a weird but similar example. You saw Josh Allen, now quarterback, top five quarterback, falling drastically in super flex drafts. I literally saw him draft in the second round in super flex drafts in some of my leagues because we over-exaggerated what we can know from numbers, to be fair. Now, I don't want to take him, but I don't think any of us really should have let a quarterback with that higher draft capital fall so far. And that's what I was saying about Henry Ruggs last year. That's how I feel about Jalen Waddle this year. And Terrence Marshall has a, a solid floor because too many, there's too much buzz for there not to be slightly more at least than the numbers are showing me. Now, that's not scientific, and it's kind of telling you to listen to the buzz, but I don't care. Sometimes, in fact, every time, I just want to make better draft picks. And if Team Analytics takes a loss, I'm really glad I don't wear their jersey. Like, I... No analytics or film guy I actually know and respect wears a team analytics or a team jersey <laughs> or a team film jersey. Everyone's just trying to get better at this little game we play. So that's okay by me. Um, but yeah, that doesn't mean I'm like, oh, I'm going to take Jalen Waddle really early. It's if he falls because everyone in my draft is team analyticsing and he gets really high first-round draft capital, as happened with Ruggs this year, I could end up with Ruggs on my roster, and I want that variance to sink in. If I can get him cheaply, I will take a high-drafted prospect because variance happens and Claypool's happens. So I guess that's where the lesson of Claypool is coming out, or at least I'm going to stop talking about it. All right. Value time. (laughs) I'm getting all weird. Sorry, I, I know this... Not my normal tone. I just, I'm in such a good mood. Raindrops, man. That's the secret. So recently what I've been doing is importing my actual ranks from DLF into ADP from DLF because I've been creating like this draft template so I can track drafts as they go and see which players are falling compared to ADP. And I was like, hey, because I'm using DLF ADP, my ranks use the exact same format because they're from DLF and I could just quickly see where I'm at on them and if I need to adjust anything. In fact, DLF team has created something that does this for us now when we're rankers, but you know, I'm a curmudgeon. I like doing my own thing. So anyway, um, and I was just looking through it and ranked from round one, two, and three. I was looking at running backs, just looking for prospects that I might not prospects for NFL players. I might want to send trades on because it's trading season. So why not? Um, And so running through like they're literally listed in draft order based on ADP. So round one, two, and three is laid out. And I can see my ranks or my difference in position rank from ADP's position rank. And a few names just highlighted for me. I'm not going to run through all the drafts because I spent so long talking about Claypool. But a few names in round two that stuck out. I'm particularly high on Chubb. I'm three spots higher in positional rank. And he's falling in the second round, apparently. I don't want to take a running back that high. But it seems like I like Nick Chubb quite a lot. 
this is all going to change because it's based on ADP. Obviously, in position rank from rankings to ADP isn't exactly clean and neat because value is different, and that's where I'm spiraling. But I'm also pretty high on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Being ranked in the second round overall in ADP, I have him two spots higher positionally than the ADP consensus. That's not why I have him listed in my ranks, but I'm two positional spots higher. And so I'm probably pretty interested in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I was talking recently about how I was surprised not to be high in the same tier, round two, on Miles Sanders. I'm exactly at consensus. That doesn't mean I don't like Miles Sanders, but it means in a draft, if I want Miles Sanders, I better take him because I'm right at consensus. He's probably going to be drafted exactly when I want to take him, and that's unfortunate. I'm also apparently higher on Cam Akers. I'm four positional spots high on Cam Akers in the second round, which is interesting. I'm low on Ezekiel Elliott in that same round, by the way. I kind of hate myself for it. It's kind of age twittery, but it's running back. So yeah, I'm kind of low. I don't... I don't think I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott in the second round. That's just me. Um, third round, however, and this is running back I really want to focus on, is James Robinson. Um, I sent out a few trade offers, and I suck at trades, and they've all been summarily rejected. Don't get me wrong. They were bad offers because I'm bad at trading. I'm trying to improve because i got to find some way of getting running backs. Um, but I'm 10 positional spots above... ADP currently ranks James Robinson as a running back. In that ADP ranks him running back 18... Which, you know, simple math tells you, I've got him around running back eight, apparently. Um, And I feel really strong on that rank. But having sent out a few trade offers, here's what got my mind spinning. Everyone in the whole of Twitterdom and everywhere else, anyone will talk about value or tell you James Robinson's a risk, he's undrafted, la la la. But you cannot trade for him at that decreased value. He's being drafted in the third round, according to this ADP from DLF I'm staring at. And despite being 10 spots higher on him than consensus ADP, no offer I could come up with even remotely tempted the person with James Robinson on the team. And this actually is a learning moment, I guess. I know. It feels like there's something else there. It's not that value is just fictional. It's that anyone with James Robinson on the team should probably sell because you're selling a James Robinson who you paid virtually nothing for, for what is the height of running back value, which he's, he is being drafted, even based on ADP, as a top 12 potential running back. I would say he has more potential to be that because he's been one, and all the other running backs taken above him have not been one, and that's why I'm 10 spots higher. But that's where he's being valued, with the potential of top 12 running back season. So anyone within the ro- who has him on his roster has literally experienced that. So they're not thinking, I have a chance to gain extra capital from virtually nothing, or trade a third-round pick into multiple first-round value. They're thinking, I need a running back. And the person trying to trade for James Robinson, i.e. me, is thinking, undrafted free agents matter, but let's turn it into you know a regular person. They're thinking, I want a high young running back with high-scoring potential for less that's it, for less, and James Robinson seems to be less evaded than those other running backs. So what we're seeing is a conflict between someone who would be doing the correct, quote-unquote, dynasty move of selling a running back you got for nothing early at possibly and very likely peak value, even if he maintains that production, which is harder to do at running back anyway. Well, actually, it's not that much harder, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, And so they're not seeing his value... They're not seeing the value they're getting back. They're thinking about 2021. I have productive running backs here. I'm going to go win. 
So the person trying to trade for him is trying to work on value, and the person who owns him is thinking about production. Now, I'm biased in this because I'm trying to trade for James Robinson, and so that should be well known. I want James Robinson too, but here's the difference. The person with James Robinson on their roster did not pay that price. So, again, in Dynasty, the sound theory move is to sell James Robinson right now because even a first-round running back can never do it again, even after doing it as a rookie because there's injuries and everything else. Christian McCaffrey said Cole Barkley this year. So it's really hard to see a way he could increase in value even though he's being undervalued by consensus and that makes people not want to sell him. So they probably should. And I should probably buy because he is more proven. He is a young, productive running back. And that's what you're trying to target if you're targeting running backs in trades. So here's a weird thing. They should sell and I should buy. But we can't come to consensus because I want to play less. And they do not want to sell for less, even though it would be exponentially more than they paid for him. So it would be a good trade for both of us. But it will never happen. It's not that value is fictitious. It's that just doesn't work out sometimes, I guess. There seems to be a lesson there. And I'm sure it's that people not selling James Robinson aren't making the right move right now. But it's hard to say that as someone who would gladly pay a lower than consensus or a lower than top 12 running back price for James Robinson because I believe he's going to repeat. In the same way, you could look at Henry Ruggs right now. Top first the first wide receiver taken in the 2020 draft that I was considerably low on and did fall in ADP, so we got him at a value. His rookie season doesn't compare particularly well to wide receivers that go on and have top 24 seasons, but he didn't do, he didn't Nikhil Harry level have a bad first rookie season, and that's for someone who loved Nikhil Harry and did not love Henry Ruggs. It was fine. He's probably going to be a feature of that offense and at least be relevant and his value is going to be something. You know, I mean, Sammy Watkins was a better prospect and what's his value done? Go not, Do nothing but go up and down. Hemrug's probably going to be a little more stable than that, if I'm going to guess. Or I'll turn into nothing like I automatically project. So it's actually the reverse here. If I want to trade for wide receivers, I should trade for Henry Ruggs. But I do not believe it's going to happen. But the person who has Henry Ruggs on his team wants to sell because they just saw a relatively bad rookie season and they think they got him at a value already because he fell in first rounds pretty far for the first wide receiver taken off the board. Value is sometimes true and not true at the same time. I don't want to buy Henry Ruggs, but I technically should because he's being sold for less than what he should be sold for, but I don't believe it's going to happen. And the reverse is through for James Robinson. This is basically the experience you get when you're playing in a league where everyone's at the same level of knowledge as you. Now, I'm not saying your leagues may differ because you have less players like Zach Reed or whoever in your leagues, but it's kind of true. So mileage may vary or send trade offers on good players that fit the criteria of more likely to be productive and young and have value, obviously. So go get James Robinson if you can. But I think the reality meets the rubber road of value when you're looking at players um, that the consensus is low on, but the person that has them on their roster believes or does not believe they're going to move forward. That sounded like a confusing way of putting it. Essentially, Henry Ruggs was a value in rookie drafts, but he wasn't really. 
because if he if Denzel Mims and he had, they had actually kind of the same season, but if if J, if uh, Jalen Rager had had the season Henry Ruggs did in terms of overall opportunity, I would be heavy on the buy Jalen Rager, and I'm on that train, but I would be heavy on it. But we were already kind of high on Rager and kind of low on Ruggs. And there is a lesson to be learned there about the value of rookie wide receivers when you buy them in rookie drafts, thinking of them as a falling value. If they're a falling value, they have to hit for you to reclaim it. Now, running backs, on the other hand, if they hit and you draft them low, you're not going to want to sell them, but you probably should. So running backs late are more of a production move than a value move, believe it or not. So scoop up late round running backs, even if you've already gone running back heavy, I guess, is where I'm going. Not exactly sure of the lesson here, now I think about it. But these two different comparison points of the wide receiver and running back, and both sides operating smartly and, you know, not objectively, but relatively um, accurately, despite the move being the correct dynasty move being the opposite of what we're going to do, is a fair play. I understand both sides of it. I understand my willingness not to pay. I understand their willingness not to sell. And it's a value crunch. And I think it's something we should have in mind when we think about those players I was talking about earlier, actually. The ones who might drop because consensus is a little low because Dynasty does skew towards the nerd, if I'm perfectly honest with you. And the rugs and the waddles can drop, especially if their draft capital is decent, but their landing spot isn't amazing. Like, Kansas City or Green Bay or, you know, the, the, the hyped landing spots. Anyway, something to consider um, uh, that occurred to me when I was trying to James for, trade for James Robinson. Or you could just take that as trade for James Robinson. It's really up to you. Hope it was interesting. Let me know uh, if you want. I, I've had a lot of fun. I've spoken for too long. We're nearly at the 40-minute mark, but, man, I don't know. I kind of like just sitting here talking to you guys in the rain. It's nice, I know. In a very J. Mike friendly mood tonight. I best not send any trade my offers out tonight because, you know, I'm, I'm feeling way too friendly. Um, anyway, thanks for checking it out. Hope you enjoyed some of it. And uh, yeah, I'll see you again next week. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.